Midnight in Karachi with Mahavish Murad on Tor.com. Joining me today is Lavi Tadar, winner of the World Fantasy Award for Osama, the British Fantasy Award for Gorel and the Pot-Bellied God, and nominated for a dozen other awards. Lavi is the editor of the first three volumes of the Apex Book of World SF and series editor as well. His last novel was The Fantastic Amandalize Dreaming, and his next book is Central Station, which is already garnering a heap of praise. Lavi, welcome back to Midnight in Karachi. Don't be difficult. Thanks very much for uh, having me. I'll try and not be difficult. All right, I have to ask, you ran the World SF blog for a long time, right? You edited three volumes of World SF for Apex. You're still series editor on those books. Some people would say you're a tireless crusader for diversity. Would you agree? Um, I suppose. <laughs> um, it's not really a title I'd be particularly comfortable with. Um, you know, I'd like to think that what, what we set out to do help the conversation you know I mean I felt you know you have to understand from from my perspective I mean I grew up on the little kibbutz in Israel um, you know for me this whole world of of science fiction seemed like it could very well be on the other on the dark side of the moon right um, you know the, the very idea of one day being involved in it or actually being in it was was just unimaginable to me. Yeah, or that it existed. Um, yeah, I mean, it just seems so alien and so strange, and um, you know, you never see yourself as a part of it. You just think that's impossible. So when I started trying to break in and writing, and um, you know, and especially the stuff I write isn't particularly easy necessarily, and it was certainly a struggle to try and get placed um, in something that was very homogenous in a way and was very um, um, almost resistant to change you know so so I kind of felt almost obliged to be doing that not just for, for people like, basically for people like myself which is all of us who are not from that from that world and I think one of the nice things is and I, I don't claim any credit for it you know um, but I think since we started that um, the field has changed a lot, you know, and just the fact that it's having these conversations now, and we are seeing these amazing new writers emerging from outside the kind of anglophone sphere or the, 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 the British American sort of sphere of influence, I think is fantastic. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, I think it, it was a very small contribution, really, um, in the overall scheme of things, but, um, but, I, you know, I'm still pretty proud of it. Yeah, me too. But speaking of small contributions, that was what I was going to ask next. Four volumes so far of the World SF book. And sometimes I wonder, is it really enough to have made this much of a difference to highlight international SF? I mean, it is really a very small step. And as you said, the conversation is happening more and more. At this point, though, sometimes I wonder, is it enough? Well, when 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 is it ever enough? Yeah. You know, I mean, we're talking about... Fair point. You know, when one is of it the enough? problems, yeah. I mean, if we, yeah, one of the problems with this, we're, we're talking about an institutional change. You know, what we're doing is just tiny little steps, um, sort of like ants crawling on the the side of an elephant, really. Um, you know, one of the things that I think 
frustrate me is that people talk about, you know, now you're almost seeing the conversation about diversity as a sort of threat to the status quo, you know, and um, and also there's, I think there's this perception that diversity is the new trend, the new buzzword, you know, that if I can just write a gay character or a black character or right. someone who's not me character, I'm suddenly going to break in. But in fact, I don't think people... And I can certainly see it from, from the Apex Book of All the Seth series. You know, I don't think people necessarily particularly want diversity. Um, it's not like we're a massive best-selling anthology series, you know. I think people like to talk about it, but when it comes down to putting money on the table, um, you know, nine, you know, 9.9 out of 10 times, you're going to go for, for the default stuff that sells, the kind of bread and butter stuff. Um, and that's Partly, you know, the I think it, it's so strong that sort of mode of storytelling as well is so strong that you know American fiction, Anglophone fiction sells all over the world, but the to to transfer things in the other direction is much harder, and it's almost about it's almost about changing people's conception of what fiction can be in a way to some extent. I don't know. I don't. I don't know if I have any answers, but um, you know, I'm I'm just hopeful that we are seeing slow change. And certainly, I think for me to to have a career is something that no one could have possibly imagined when I was growing up. So now, the word diversity. I've said this before to you as well. I'm pretty sick of how easily the word gets thrown around. It ends up feeling quite meaningless to me. What do you think? Oh, it means so many things to so many people, doesn't it? I mean. You know, I, I mean, what I see a lot that really frustrates me is when Americans use diversity or international fiction to refer to, like, to, to British writers. Right. You know, um, they, they, I remember they organized a conference on international science fiction a few years ago, and the guest of honor was China Miaevo. Right. You know, um, as the international star. Well, he has a fancy name, you know. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I know, enough? maybe they thought, hmm, you know. And I, I remember emailing the organizer just to kind of highlight my concerns, and he was very dismissive. He was like, well, if you don't like it, start your own conference, you know. But I thought that they have, it's, it's a very odd definition. I think it becomes almost meaningless. I've always tried, you know, from my perspective to say, well, the one thing I can focus on and make a little bit of a change about is specifically international speculative fiction. You know, so I'm not entering the American debate so much about diversity, which is very different over there. I'm just saying about trying to increase the representation of writers from outside that, and and that may include, you know, um, you know, that would include writers who write in a different language, or but you know, it's all intersectional in that it's you, we can't really distinguish or we can't really divide those things into discrete units I mean you're going to have you could have a writer from Singapore who is also a gay writer who is also sure. writing in English as a first or a second language or a third language you know that all these things kind of come together and I don't really want to make judgment call. I certainly don't want to say and I think you, you have the same position on it. I don't want to say I'm going to publish someone because they are of a specific subgroup. I want to publish people who are good writers, but I think the point is they are good writers. Yeah. We are good writers. Um, and you, you kind of almost get pigeonholed into these diversity points. Yeah. 
Well, the different. other thing for me becomes that you, just because you've written or you have, say, a diverse cast of characters, you have diverse whatever it is, as you were mentioning earlier, you that doesn't automatically make your story a good one. Um, whether you're diverse or not, even if it's somebody who's sort of a mainstream, well-known writer, just because if just because they happen to have a diverse cast doesn't mean I'm not going to give them extra points for it unless it's really good. Um, so there is some element of trying to balance the quality, I suppose, with that as well. But then if you don't have an open mind to that kind of stuff, you'll never really find quality, will you? Well, I'm just really suspicious of the whole idea that diversity is basically American writers writing about other characters who are not themselves, right. you know. Well, really, it's about increasing the diversity of writers, not the diversity of characters in fiction. Right. Um, necessarily. And also, I'm not sure you can necessarily do it well. Um, you know, one of the interesting things, is, for example, is that here we are on the podcast, and instead of talking about my next book, we're talking about diversity. <laughs> we're going to talk about your well, next well, book. No, but, but this is what you know I we're going to talk what, about your next book. But, but this, is what we, this is what happens, isn't it? It's the yeah. same way that you get put on the diversity panel well, rather than on the how to this write. Is, this is why we get along, because my next question was exactly this. I've started saying no to writing about diversity because I don't see why I should only ever be asked to write about diversity. And I know you get put on panels about diversity all the time because, well, you're from Israel, you're a diverse writer, or because you, you know, edit this anthology. But let's face it, there's plenty of other stuff to talk to us, you know, diverse types about, isn't there? You know, like everything else other than this diversity albatross. I mean, look at me, how diverse am I? You know, I'm pretty much establishment now. I mean, I'm a white (laughs) guy heading into middle age. Right. How diverse am I? And also, I just once, you know, just once would like to be asked to go on a panel to talk about writing. I mean, I do yeah. have a World Fantasy Award, which I always, I, I always have to kind of pull out and go, look, I have an award. Can I not talk about writing just once? Just once. Yeah. Just once I would like to actually talk about writing as if I know what I'm talking about rather than as some sort of exotic animal. Um, to come out from, from admittedly I did you're not even that exotic Lavi. you're really not you are you're so not exotic you're not that yeah, exotic at all person. <laughs> I'm a very boring person um, you know I got to live in some interesting places but I'm essentially an incredibly boring person as most writers are but I would just like one time to talk about writing right. <laughs> you know which is, is what you other people would take for granted. Yeah. Um, and admittedly, I did write myself into a corner by being behind the world of Seth blog and the anthologies and so on. But at the same time, that's not the only thing I want to talk about. Absolutely. Um, just recently, I got asked to do some festival to come and talk about Jewish science fiction. You know, and I kind of thought, well, what do I have to say? About, what do I know about Jewish science fiction? I mean, I happen to be, so, you know, I happen to be Jewish. I happen to sometimes write science fiction. That's enough, apparently. But I, you know, I don't even know what Jewish. There isn't really that much Jewish science fiction in particular, you know. Yeah. And um, and I just thought, you know, I can't be bothered. I just can't be bothered. I don't. I don't. I don't have anything to say about it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm genuinely finding the same sort of thing. I mean, this this interview is not about me. It's about you. But I'm in agreement with you because I'm having to now say, you know what? I just can't. I can't talk about diversity anymore. It's, uh, I don't know what it means, and it doesn't mean to me what it means to someone else, so I don't, you know, having to be polite then, constantly, uh, it seems a bit pointless. I do know, because I know you pass all these jobs to me. 
That's <laughs> and and I can't really my sleep now because I've been doing it ever since trying to promote the first yeah, anthology. Yeah, but you know, Shukla, who's a who's a Desi writer based in in the UK, has recently been talking about how you know I'm not going to write about diversity anymore. You're not going to put me on diversity panels anymore. I think he's one of the judges for the Kitschies this year as well. And I have to agree with him. Like I, I want now to do exactly the same thing, say no more of this. And I think if more of us did that, maybe that would be. I don't know. Will they just cut us off completely, or will they start, you know, let, letting us talk about other things as well? Think, Who are I they anyway? Are, I think people are well-meaning. They just don't necessarily, you know, when you're in charge of programming, you yeah. don't necessarily have much of an awareness of it. I mean, I had a conversation with some random guy at a convention who set himself up as an editor, you know, of some some anthology for some small brand. Never, you know. And he was saying to me, you know, it's not his job to worry about diversity. He's the editor. People should submit to him, to his Nazi zombie anthology or whatever, non-paying Nazi zombie anthology or whatever it was. <laughs> Sounds fantastic. And people should submit to him if they want to be included. And he just chooses the best stories. And I thought, you know, how passive can you be? I mean, editing isn't a passive job. It's an active job. You know, your job as an editor is to to be aware of the field and be aware of writers and reach out and actually do something. And also, why would anyone submit to your anthology? Right. You know, um, I'm sorry, I'm getting distracted now. I can't remember what we're talking about. No, but let's um, let's talk about let's talk about your books, which is what we were going to talk about. Oh, I, yes. What's this about you having six books out this year? Yeah, it's. it's is that true? It's a bit of a weird one. Are you um, exaggerating? Is that how it's weird? No, no, I have six books coming out in the US, specifically. Um, it, yeah, it's been a bit of a weird, it's a weird situation the way it came out. Well, firstly, my three early books, you know, the first, uh, the, the Bookman Histories trilogy, which are these more fun sort of, Victorian alternate history adventure spy cross genre whatever you want to call it um, they're they're getting reissued which is fantastic you know um, they're getting reissued as sort of these really cute trade paperbacks with new covers in the US uh, which I'm very happy about um, so that's three books coming out you know in in two months um, breaks in between. Um, I have a new novel called Central Station, which is sort of a, a mosaic novel that goes back to the, um, you know, almost like the history of, of what science fiction used to be, which were these mosaic novels that were made up of short stories that were published individually in magazines to begin with. Um, so that's coming out. I've got A Man Lies Dreaming comes out in the US next month, um, which again is very exciting, from Melville House, which is a, a fantastic publisher. Um, and then I've got a book called Art and War, which is my first non-fiction title, um, which is a sort of book-length conversation with my friend Shimon Adaf um, from Israel. And the subtitle is, I think it's something like uh, Power, Poetry and Politics in Israeli Fiction, which sounds like a bestseller, I know. Right. Um, <laughs> Completely. But it's, more, it's, it's basically a book-length conversation about writing and about the frustrations, the, you know, the difficulties, why we do it. The, the politics of it, um, quite a lot on science fiction and crime fiction and so on as well, and also a couple of short stories in there that are also in correspondence with each other, and we reach a, a minor character in the other's story, which is which was a, well, it was a bit weird reading his story and actually finding myself as a character in it was quite um, quite unsettling. 
Um, so, so that's that's a book I'm very excited about as well. Um, tell me I'm very excited about all of them, really. Tell me a little yeah. bit more about Central Station, which is the next new new novel coming out. I haven't started reading it yet, I admit, but wow, people uh, have really started to love it a lot already, haven't they? That's kind yeah, of fun. It's, re- it's really weird. I mean, you know what? Because of what it was, um, which was me wanting to write a mosaic, you know, and publish the stories individually and then put it together. Um, I was really uncertain about the pro- the whole process and, and to an extent when I finished it, I finished having, you know, everything I wanted to say about science fiction kind of came out and I ran, you know, I had about two years when I had nothing more to say on it. But it also never quite worked when it was finished and I didn't know how to make it work and I didn't quite know what to do with this very odd thing. and. Um, Really, it kind of took um, Tachyon, my, my American publishers, to to see their potential, to see what I was trying to do with the book. And um, and they came back to me after they bought it, and they said, look, this is what we think you need to do. And I think they were very worried about it. I think they thought, oh, he's going to throw a massive tantrum about um, the editorial request. And when I saw it, I was so happy because they saw the book, and they saw what needed to happen to make it work. You know, and it, I was I was just delighted. So I actually got to sit down and write the book that I wanted to write from the beginning, um, but I wasn't able to do it because I just couldn't see it from from outside. So it's it's kind of um, you know what I would well in a way it's in, it's a book that's in dialogue with classic science fiction. It's it's a book that's in dialogue with all the works that that went before it. But the way I saw it was kind of like a, a V.S. Naipaul novel. Right. Um, he, he had a, he, one of his early books is sort of like a, a portrait of life in a Trinidadian town. And um, that's kind of what I wanted to do, but just against this very big science fictional background. So essentially, it's just a book about people, ordinary people living ordinary lives. They just happen to be doing that in a very, very weird, you know, science fictional world. Yeah. So it doesn't have, you know, I, I, it doesn't have the kind of chases and explosions <laughs> and, um, you know, the stuff you'd get necessarily in a big science fiction yeah. novel. It's really more about the characters. Which a lot of classic science fiction was about. Um, in fact, I was just today started rereading Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep. I hadn't read it since I was I haven't read it mm-hmm. since I was fourteen or fifteen. And you know, over the years, when you when you get older and you see Blade Runner, and a lot of what you remember about the book, if you haven't reread it in years, ends up becoming Ridley Scott's image. And I'm rereading it and thinking this is nothing like. I mean, it was it's so different because it's such a small domestic situation that. Android starts off with that Blade Runner doesn't at all go to. You know, it starts with a domestic spat between a man and his wife, and it's all about what this what this man's sort of little domestic identity is and how he's trying to manage. And it really is about those characters. Everything else, the electric sheep, the whole you know off-world living, the androids, everything, just happens to be. I don't know. It's like the tapestry or the curtains in the room. Well, that's what I've always loved about Philip K. Dick is that that that's what he does. You know, it's about these little people. It's about and I, you know, I I think that's what's wonderful about his work. Um, and you know, it's very hard to be swept away by the kind of the dominant thriller mode. You know that yeah. 
characters have to keep running and aspiring and um, being chased and explosion. I like writing that sort of stuff myself, you know. I do enjoy writing action, but there's something so compelling about just these, these characters who are just us, you know, or just people. Um, living the same ordinary lives that we're living, but just in this weird future. I think that was one of the great things he did, and, and that very, very few writers have really done before or since. Yeah, successfully. Or, or, or even in general, I think, because we are so beholden to, you know, commercial writing, which requires action, requires forward movement requires explosions on you know always always start with a big explosion um, yeah. to quote Mike Longshot in Osama which is actually something um, a, an editor once told me you know always start with a big explosion and, and I think Philip K. Dick does it really well um, so obviously Central Station has references to Philip K. Dick it has references to you know Caldwell Smith and Delazny and Simak and I think the writers who influence me tend to be the more obscure writers rather than, you know, Robert Heinlein or someone. Right. Though I suppose people like Philip K. Dick are, you know, are not really obscure anymore. No, not not Philip K. Dick, but I mean, people like um, C.L. Moore, Cordwainer Smith, um, you know, Clifford Simak, who I think was was a wonderful pastoral science fiction writer, which is something we never see, right. almost never see. Um, in, in contemporary genre, um, so so these are kind of the the mode the modes that I'm interacting with are not necessarily the modes that um, people would be that familiar with now. I think I'm not you know obviously I'm not sure, but very much to do with the kind of classics, older American classics. Yeah, well, one must be careful when one says people may not be familiar with because you know with the internet, everyone can be familiar with everything in like five minutes. No, I, I absolutely agree. I mean, I'd love, you know, people, when people do recognize the references, they, they seem really happy with it as well. They say, oh, you know, there's there's a reference to Cordona Smith. You know, I wish people, I, you know, for me, if I was writing the history of American science fiction, I would position um, writers in a very different way than the, the current history that we, we're familiar with. You know, for example, positioning Heinlein as the major figure of American science fiction. Uh, which is historically true. I wouldn't argue with it necessarily, but for me, my own personal history, Heinlein would be a very minor character, and say Cordoyne Smith would be a, a major towering character in that. I'm right, um, just a huge fan of his work. Yeah. So. Tell me a little bit more about Adler. This is what I wanted to know about the comic book that you're writing for Titan. What's yeah. that all about? What's the process of writing a comic book been like? Has it been easier, harder than a novel, more fun, less fun? Well, Adler, the Adler is a very simple pitch, which is essentially how we almost sold it. Um, it's the League of Extraordinary Gentlewomen. That that would be the easiest way to describe it. Um, so it's kind of Irene Adler from Sherlock Holmes and um, um, Lady Havisham from Great Expectations and possibly Jane Eyre kind of team up to fight a Yesha from... Uh, H. Ryder Haggard, you know, from She you Must Not Be Named. Um, so basically, it's, it's, it's a Victorian steampunky comic, but all the characters are women, um, pretty much. You know, you, you do have a few cameos from, from other characters. 
And it's, it's a lot of fun. I kind of wrote it because I got so annoyed by the TV and the films and the way they depicted Irene Adler. You know, I just thought it was disgraceful. Um, and I kind of, I got annoyed enough about it that I actually sat down and wrote my own version of it where, where Adler was the hero. You know, because she was always my favorite character in Sherlock Holmes. Um, and, um, yeah, it's been fun. I mean, I... I finished writing the scripts now. It's basically it's going to be five issues collected into a, a graphic novel. Um, and for, well, I mean, my artist, the art is absolutely amazing, but my artist is quite slow, and so it's been delayed by you know it was supposed to come out a long time ago, I think a couple of years ago now, and um, it's coming along, you know, and I think because the art is so good, it's really much better than my writing, if I'm being honest. Um, you know, I think it's worth waiting for. So we're, we're waiting, and it will come out once it's done, and it's going to look amazing. No, I wish it was, you know, I wish it, to, it could be quicker, but um, at the end of the day, it's, I think it's absolutely stunning art. So I'm happy to wait, even though personally as a writer, I just want the book to be out now. I don't want to be talking about it now. I want to be showing it off now. But it's going to take the, as long as it's going to take. Why aren't there any women writers on the comic is what I was going to ask. Well, it's... I know. Someone's going to ask you. It may as well be me. Well, no, it's it's just something I wrote. I mean, it wasn't. It's not. It's not an ongoing comic. It's just a single graphic novel, essentially. So I just happened to write it. Um, and Paul, who's my 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 male artist, just happened to be the guy I was talking to. I was actually talking to him about doing a violent century comic at the time, and this was basically an afterthought. This was something. I had sitting on the hard drive and we thought it sounded kind of cool maybe we should give it a go so it wasn't you know it wasn't a, <laughs> a very well thought out process right um you know what, what what would be great is if the title does do well I don't see why we can't do further um further stories in it and why someone else couldn't then take it over um but it's taking so long already let's you know let's hope that uh, we get the graphic novel out first and see what happens all right so Dragonlance why won't you accept how much it has defined you and why won't you write about it for us Livy <laughs> let me corner well, you right now I can't believe you're still going with the Dragonlance really no, we I are think. still going with the dragon it's it's never ending to think that I there are more books I never mentioning know? it to you guys it's like um, we took no, it and I we ran with it, it. I downloaded the first one and I read a few chapters, but you know, and that's very much a case of this happens and then something else happens. You know, they run, they run around like headless chickens, and then there's flying griffins, and then the, and I kind of lost They're track not, after a while. Yeah. There were the giant lizards, and it was kind of yeah. The draconians, please. They're called draconians. Uh, draconians. That's what they're called. You should know this. I Tell mean, me, though, was this something you grew up reading? I did, yeah, yeah. In fact, one of the first books um, I read in English, you know, I read the first six Dragonlance books in Hebrew, and when I was trying to pick up English, one of the books I read was um, like was a collection of Dragonlance stories, I think, which was absolutely dreadful. Right. Um, so that's my one memory of it. <laughs> it I can believe that. 
Yeah, but now we all read them, I think, um, you know, back in the day. Yeah, well, I mean, if I was reading them in Karachi, then I don't see where there were people who were not reading them. I mean, everyone seems to have, you know, some Dragonland story at some point. Well, it's the same, uh, which I realized recently, it's the same with those Choose Your Own Adventure books. Absolutely. The Wizard on Firetop Mountains, you know, which a friend of mine wrote the history of it recently, and... uh, I was like, I remember those. Yeah, I used to play them. You know, again, we had them in Hebrew translations back in the 80s or whatever. I, was like, I remember that. You know, that was kind of cool. Um, you know, I'd, I'd be really interested in writing a Choose Your Own Adventure, to be honest. I'm kind of one of the things I'm... Well, I'm working on something that is a little bit like that, I suppose. Yeah. But... But I'm always just interested in different forms of storytelling, you know, whether it's comics or screenplays or choose your own adventure. Yeah, someone needs to bring those back. Sarah Lotz works as part of a trio that writes choose yes. your own erotica, doesn't she? Yeah, so it apparently was incredibly successful. They had like they had bus side adverts in Brazil or something. Oh really? I think it's called A Girl Walks into a Bar was maybe the first one. There's a girl That's walks right. into the yeah. wedding as well. Yeah, there are a few Absolutely of them. genius concept. It um, is, it really is. No, I'm saying my friend um, Jonathan um, Green, he's he's still writing them, but I think he's the only person who's still kind of doing them um, in the traditional sense, you know, in the in the fighting fantasy um, series. Now, I bet you're writing half a dozen more books right now, aren't you? Are they diverse? I'm not the most diverse. I'm kidding. Writer. I was kidding. I was, I was being facetious. That wasn't a serious question. <laughs> the serious part of it was, uh, what are you working on right now? I'm, that you can well, talk about. Well, you know, I mean, my last sort of big novel was A Man Likes Dreaming, and that took a lot out of me. I mean, it's not that easy spending all that time in Adolf Hitler's head. Right. And also. Yet you choose to do it. I know. I know. Um, I regret it now, but, you know. But um, that that took a lot out of me, and um, it's not very easy to to follow that up, especially when it was a book that kind of achieved a, a lot of what I wanted to achieve. And I thought, well, how can I go on and write something if it's going to be less good, you know, or not as ambitious? So the only way to kind of tackle that was to try and write something that was even more ambitious in terms of what I was trying to do, which is to take myself outside of my comfort zone. So, um. So I did manage, I did write in the last two years or so since it came out. Um, there's nothing I can really talk about, but I did finish about three very different books. Um, so we're going, I'm going to have to see what happens with them. You know, it's the sort of thing you have to think about very carefully. I'm not... Am I working on a novel right now? I mean, I'm sort of... A lot of what I do is kind of just thinking and staring at the wall and saying I'll never finish a book again and I have no idea how to do this. And so that's kind of the stage I'm in now. You know, the stage that goes, I know what I want to do, but I have no idea how to do it and I'm not really a novelist and, you know... Which I'm not. I don't think I am a novelist. I think I'm more of a short story writer. So I do struggle with novels. I do find them very hard. So what have you been reading nowadays? Is there something you're really excited about? Well, there's a book I got sent recently um, from my friend Sylvia Moreno-Garcia, and that's coming out um, this year from Thomas Dunn in the U.S., and it's called Certain Dark Things. 
and it's really really good I'm, I'm really excited about it it's um it's um it's a book about narco vampires in mexico city basically which is what what more do you want you know and it's just it's a very readable really fresh book you know it really does something interesting and it's current and you know i i really hope people pick it up i think it's great all right well thank you for recording with me today thank you for looking forward to you. looking forward to central station me too <laughs>